Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Truth. I am your host, the one you love the most, Niall Hessen, back with another episode here on The Truth. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be doing our Week 15 Fantasy Football slash NFL Preview. Basically, I'm going to go over the scores and highlights, I guess you could say, from Week 14 in the NFL. Then we'll start previewing Week 15, including my Fantasy Football portion and my NFL portion, while I'll include my Game of the Week, Upset of the Week, Lock, Bust, or I guess I should say upside week, not bust. And then on the flip side for fantasy, two must starts, two must sits, two sleepers, and two busts to end the podcast. Before we can go ahead and take a look at week 15, we have to go ahead and take a look at week 14 here in the NFL. Starting things off in Detroit with the Detroit Lions beating the Minnesota Vikings 34-23 at home. This was a tough game for the Vikings. They fall to 10-3. The last time they were in Detroit before this game, the Lions had actually won their first game of the season, and that was very painful as a Vikings fan. Didn't think it could get much worse, but losing to Detroit on the road is definitely not very appealing, and it's not been something that I've really been fond of, and it's been happening over and over again, it seems like. Overall, though, for the Vikings, Kirk Cousins, 31 for 41, 425 and two touchdowns. A really good day for him. Dalvin Cook, only 15 carries for 23 yards and a touchdown. Justin Jefferson, though, 11 catches, 223 yards, no touchdowns of the day. TJ Hawkinson, 6 for 77, and Thielen, 7 catches, 65 yards, and a touchdown as well. On the flip side, for Detroit, Jared Goff had himself a good day as well, 27 for 39, 330, and 3 touchdowns. On the rushing end, CJ Moore, the safety, actually had a rush for 42 yards. As far as running backs are concerned, Jamal Williams, 16 for 37. DeAndre Swift, 6 carries for 21 yards. DJ Chark receiving 6 catches, 94 yards, and a touchdown. Amon Ron St. Brown, 6 catches, 68 yards on the day for him. And the Detroit Lions do pick up a big win against Minnesota. This was obviously very devastating for them. For the Lions, though, this was a big win because, you know, the Lions had intentions more than just this game. They have intentions to make the playoffs down the line and sneak into one of those playoff spots. So that's obviously a big thing for them and in their hopes and dreams, I guess, of doing so there. For Minnesota, this is definitely going to hurt their number one seed chances. A lot of people were expecting them to contend with the Eagles, but now that they sit two games behind the Eagles for that, I'm not expecting that to be the case, and they really got to compete with a team like the 49ers to even hold on to that two seed, or else they're going to fall to number three. The Ravens win this one against the Steelers on the road 16-14 to improve to 9-4 on the year. Pittsburgh falls to 5-8. No Lamar Jackson, no problem. Tyler Huntley, 8-for-12, 88 yards. Rushing, J.K. Dobbins, 15 carries for 120 and a touchdown. Gus Edwards, 13 rushes, 66 yards on the day for him. Demarcus Robinson had 5 catches for 54 yards. And Deshaun Jackson, 2 catches for 34 yards for him. On the defensive side, Roquan Smith, the linebacker who was newly acquired earlier this season by the Bears, as well as Patrick Queen, did have the two takeaways for the Baltimore Ravens. For the Steelers, it was kind of a similar situation for them in the fact that Trubisky did come into the game after Kenny Pickett left with a concussion. But more than that, Trubisky, 22 for 30, 276, a touchdown and three interceptions. Najee, 12 carries, 33 yards and a touchdown. Deontay Johnson, 6 catches, 82 yards in the day for him. George Pickens, 3 catches, 78 yards. Fryermuth did get a receiving touchdown as well. And although you'd maybe like to see a little bit more production from Tyler Huntley, winning without Lamar Jackson, especially on the road, especially against a divisional opponent, is good no matter who you're facing. So seeing that the Ravens were able to win against the Steelers is definitely a big thing for them. 
not only for their confidence, but for their playoff push moving forward and hopes and dreams of continuing to move forward, potentially winning the AFC North Division if it means being without Lamar for an extended period of time. Switching over to the AFC South, the Jaguars won at Tennessee 36-22 to to improve to 5-8 and on the year, whereas the Titans do fall to a 7-6 and record. Trevor Lawrence, 30 for 42, 368, and three touchdowns on the day for him, with obviously zero interceptions. Travis Etienne, 17 rushes, 32 yards for him. And on the receiving side, Evan Ingram had his kind of coming out party once again. 11 catches, 162 yards, and two touchdowns on the day. Zay Jones, 8 catches, 77 yards, and a touchdown as well. And on the defensive side for the Jaguars, Wingard. Andrew Wingard, who injured his shoulder in this game, did have an interception off of Ryan Tannehill. Speaking of Tannehill, he went 23, sorry, 25-38, 254 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. Derrick Henry, 17 rushes, 121 yards, one touchdown. Kind of ironically, the Titans had a lot of unsuccess, I guess you could say, when Derrick Henry wasn't getting the ball a lot and not having success that way. But this game, he was able to run the ball effectively, and they still were able to lose. Austin Hooper was their leading receiver, 5 catches, 68 yards. Robert Woods, 5 catches, 49 yards. And Okukanku, Chi Guziam Okwanku, didn't say that right, 6 catches, 45 yards, and a touchdown on the day for him. Jaguars, I mean, this win didn't really mean much. It only kind of had some more certifications in the fact that they're obviously a team that's in the rebuilding phase and will continue to look for that moving forward. Whereas the Titans, this was a really big loss for them. Not necessarily for the division, because the division seems to be all but locked up at this point. But more than that, it's the higher placement seeds, because the number one seed in the ASC was definitely up for grabs. Beating a team like the Jaguars, where you're kind of expected to win, is one of those situations where you'd really want to win. And going up next week at the Chargers, the Texans, Cowboys, and Jaguars in the year, have some tough challenges ahead, which is going to be something to definitely take note of moving forward. But still, it was a tough loss. They're going to need to bounce back next week. Eagles and the Giants battled in an NFC East divisional game, and I was expecting this game to be a lot closer than it actually was. The Eagles improved to 12-1, whereas the Giants fall to 7-5-1 with a 48-22 loss on the day there. Obviously, a lot of offensive performance, mainly from Jalen Hurts, who had 21 for 31, 217, and two touchdowns passing. Also had seven carries for 77 yards and a touchdown. Miles Sanders had 14 catches for 144 yards, so a big day there for him. He had a good day running the football for the two touchdowns that he also had. And A.J. Brown, four catches, 70 yards, and a touchdown. Devontae Smith, five catches, 64 yards, and a touchdown as well. Obviously, great offensive production for both those sides there, and overall, just a good performance. But it was definitely a hard-fought win, getting all those points and having that receiving yard success. For the Giants, Danny Dimes, 18 for 27, 169, and a touchdown. Tyrod Taylor, 5 for 5, 47 yards, and a touchdown as well when he came in for mop-up duty. Tyrod Taylor was also their leading rusher, and that's definitely um, an area of concern because he's the backup quarterback that really had his time in the mop-up duty. Two rushes, 40 yards. Saquon, nine carries, 28 yards on the day for him. Richard James, or Richie James, I guess you could say, had a concussion in this one, but finished the day seven, with seven catches, 61 yards, and a touchdown there. So having some good quality performance um, there is obviously still a good sign there. 
And overall, it was a tough loss to the Giants. You know, the Eagles, they have kind of not locked up the number one seed, but they're progressing more and more like, you know, the number one seed's going to be in their grasps, grasps the way that they've been playing recently. So if you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan, you definitely got to be excited there, especially with the Vikings L. And moving forward, you really kind of want to take notice of and see what um, you know the other teams in the NFC do because that's obviously a big thing there. And if you're a Giants fan, you know, it's just kind of slipping into the hope that maybe this isn't the year for them. Even though they start off the year 7-2, to these divisional games, they haven't looked good at all. I don't think they've won a game in four or five games. So it's been tough for them. So we'll see moving forward how those two teams are going to be able to finish out the season. A lot of divisional battles this week, including in the AFC East, where the Bills win at home 20-12 to to improve to 10-3, whereas the Jets fall to 7-6. Mike White got beat up enough in this game, 27 for 44, 268. Joe Flacco, 1 for 3, and 1 yard. Zonovan Knight, 17 rushes, 71 yards, and a touchdown. Garrett Wilson, 6 catches, 78 yards. Elijah Moore, 6 catches, 60 yards. I think the biggest takeaway for the Jets is Mike White's rib issue. He's questionable for this matchup. And just how much of a beating that dude had taken um, really as the game went on. He kept coming out trying to, you know, obviously have more, um, I guess you could say, success um, in the way that he was playing and all that stuff, but just didn't really seem to materialize at the end of the kind of run there. Josh Allen, on the flip side, he didn't have the greatest of games, but it's still a win is a win. 16 for 27, 147, and a touchdown. Also as their leading rusher, so much for trying to get the running game established. 10 carries, 47 yards, and a touchdown. Devin Singletary, 8 for 39, rushing. Dawson Knox, their leading receiver, 4 catches, 41 yards, and a touchdown. Stephon Diggs, 3 for 37. Gabe Davis, 3 for 31. And overall, you know, it was a big win for Buffalo, an even bigger loss for the Jets. The Jets and the Bills, obviously, in two different trajectories. The Bills and Chiefs sit atop the number one seed, whereas the Jets have now fallen technically to the third spot in the three-way tie between the Patriots, Chargers, and the Jets. So they're obviously going to want to bounce back um, next week and, you know, the weeks to follow in hopes of having a good rest of the year and sneaking back in the playoffs. But one of the main reasons they're going to be able to do that excuse me, as if Mike White's able to stay healthy and have success that way. So that's going to be something to see. Whereas the Bills look a lot better, Josh Allen seems to be healing really well, and uh, he seems to be moving in a positive direction. So a lot of optimism if you're a Bear, uh, Bills fan, or if you're a Bears fan too, for that matter. Another divisional battle in the AFC North, where the Bengals beat the Browns 23-10 to to improve to 9-4 and in the year. Cleveland falters to 5-8. and Deshaun Watson, 26 for 42, 276, 1-1, one and, one, and a happy massage, massaging his own leg. Nick Chubb, 14 rushes, 34 yards. Deshaun Watson, 6 carries, 33 yards. DPJ, Donovan Peoples-Jones, 8 receptions, 114 yards. Najoku, 7 catches, 59 yards, and a touchdown on the day for him. And on the defensive side, Deion Jones, Cleveland's linebacker, did have an interception. Joe Shiesty, 18 for 33, 239, 2-1. Joe Mixon, 14 carries, 96 yards. P. Ryan did have a rushing touchdown. Jamar Chase had a receiving touchdown to go along with 10 receptions, 119 yards. Tyler Irvin, sorry, Trenton Irvin, 2 receptions, 58 yards, and a touchdown as well. And Jesse Bates did have Deshaun Watson's interception. You know, for the Bengals, this was a big win. They're still behind the Ravens, but this was obviously a big divisional game where they really just wanted to win and kind of move up in the rankings, even though they didn't technically move up to the number one seed in the AFC North. 
because moving forward for the Bengals, you know, the stretch that they have coming up, Buccaneers, Patriots, Bills, and Ravens, that's going to be a difficult stretch. And winning a game against the Browns, even with Lamar out, does open the door for opportunities for the Ravens to kind of not necessarily falter, but for the Bengals to thrive. And that was important for them. For the Browns, their season seems to be a lost hope. The biggest thing, I guess you could say right now, is just materializing Deshaun Watson and getting him ready to go for next season and hopefully the dog pounds push moving forward. The Texans take on the Cowgirls in Jerry's world. The Cowgirls do win 27-23. The Cowgirls are 10-3. The Texans are 1-11-1. Speaking of the Texas Texans, Davis Mills did get his starting job back in this one. 16 for 21, 175, and one interception on the day for him. Damian Pierce kind of got the running game back and going. Not really, though, but at least better than where it's been. 22 rushes for 78 yards and a touchdown. Chris Moore, 10 catches, 124 yards. Aaron Rodgers, no, I'm just kidding. Amari Rodgers, uh, 4 catches, 57 yards, and a touchdown on the day for him. The defense, though, did have a good day. Specifically, Traymond Smith, the defensive back, did have two interceptions. So that's obviously good there if you're able to do that. And for the Dallas Cowgirls, Dak Prescott, 24 for 39, 284, one touchdown, two interceptions. Ezekiel Elliott, 15 carries, 62 yards, a rushing touchdown. He also had three catches for 19 yards. Tony Pollard on the flip side, 10 carries, 42 yards, and a rushing touchdown. Had four catches, 20 yards, and a receiving touchdown as well. Dalton Schultz, six catches, 87 yards on the day for him, so obviously a good day there. And on the defensive side, Israel Mukamu, however you say that, had an interception. You know, this is a good win for Dallas. It looks scary at times. The Texans were able to kind of come back and kind of have somewhat of success. And for Texans fans that want to see a competitive nature, obviously that's a plus there. But overall, you know, playing against the Cowboys, if you're able to steal a win there, that's just so appealing and so satisfying for the Cowboys, or I guess you could say the Texans, kind of salting the Cowboys season in hopes of maybe catching the Eagles or just getting a higher seed um, in the wild card round. But overall, though, the Cowboys did show some falters. It's going to happen, especially when you play a team like that. Not too worried about the way that they played in that game and the way they've continued to play moving forward. I think moving forward, that's going to be something to note, too, and seeing when it does come down to the postseason, how effective they're going to play and if they're going to be able to have some of these successes that they want. Play at Denver and win against the Broncos 34-28 to behind Patrick Mahomes' I guess somewhat good performance. Patty Daddy, 28 for 42, 352, three touchdowns and three interceptions. Isaiah Pacheo, 13 rushes, 70 yards. Jarek McKinnon, only six rushes for 22 yards, but seven catches, 112 yards, and two touchdowns. Juju on that beat, nine catches, 74 yards, and a touchdown. Travis Kelsey, four catches for 71 yards. Willie Gay and Legereus Sneed did have interceptions for the Chiefs. And Russell Wilson went 23 for 36, 247, 3-1. Russell Wilson was also their leading rusher at four rushes for 57 yards. Tavius Murray, eight rushes, 32 yards. Jerry Judy had a day, eight catches, 73 yards, and three touchdowns. Marlon Mack did have a two-reception day for 62 yards and a touchdown as well. The great linebacker from Iowa, Josie Jewell, had two interceptions, as well as Patrick Sertain did pick off Patrick Mahomes as well. You know, the Broncos did come close to stealing a victory. The Chiefs do walk away now with a 10-3 record, currently the number two seed in the AFC division or the AFC Conference. Denver, this victory against the Chiefs would have been just a morale boost. Obviously, they're out of playoff contention. And honestly, just trying to build for next season, and that's something that I think their focus 
is really going to be moving forward. Um, be curious to see how much Russell Wilson plays, especially towards the end of the season. Um, some of their other key players as well. Obviously, you have them on contract, but if you're looking longevity and this season seems to be a bust, then maybe there's no point in playing them. As well, uh, for the Broncos, are you going to keep Nathaniel Hackett? That's going to be a lot of question marks going into next season and seeing what they have to do. The 49ers beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at, their, at home 35-7. to Buccaneers fall to 6-7. and The 49ers improved to 9-4. and Tom Brady, 34-55, 253, 1-2. Rashad White, 13 rushes, 56 yards. Leonard Fournette, 4 carries, 13 yards, 6 catches, 33. Chris Godwin, 5 for 54. And Mike Evans, 4 for 44 on the day for him. Big cock Brock, Brock Purdy, 16 for 21, 185 and 2 touchdowns. C-Mac, 14 rushes, 119 yards and 1 touchdown. Also had 2 catches for 34 yards and a touchdown as well. Brandon Ayuk, 2 catches, 57 yards and a touchdown on the day for him. Dre Greenlaw and Gibson, uh, Tashan Gibson, the 49ers. Safety did have an interception as well. You know, this is a big one for the 49ers, more the fact that knowing now that you can win with Brock Purdy. And I think that was already kind of a given. They knew that they had a good chance with Brock Purdy. Obviously, they wanted him in the system for the reason, and they believe that kind of what he's brought to the table and what he's brought to the offense is going to be very vital. It helps for the 49ers that they have a really good team overall. You know, Christian McCaffrey is obviously a stud. George Kittle, the offensive line, Trent Williams. Then you look at the defensive side, you get guys like Jerry Greenlaw, Fred Warner, who Fungus had a great season. So overall, this 49ers team looks really scary. And Brock Purdy doesn't need to do a lot. You know, he just needs to do enough to kind of lead the team in the right direction. On the flip side for Tom Brady, you know, they're still staying atop the NFC South. At this rate, I think they'll win um, just because of how bad the division is. But, you know, overall, they don't look great. And today was a big wake-up call for them. They need to straighten some things out because if they're going to win their division, they're most likely going to be playing the Cowboys in the first round. Obviously, they're a really good team. So that's something to take notice of moving forward and seeing if they're going to be able to fix that. That's definitely something that they need to look at. Like I said, moving forward. The Panthers do surprise the Seahawks on the road by winning 30-24. to The Panthers are 5-8. and The Seahawks are now 7-6. and For Carolina, Sam Darnold, 14 for 24, 120 and 1 touchdown. Deontay Foreman, 21 carries, 74 yards. Chuba Hubbard, 14 rushes, 74 yards and a touchdown there. Blackshear also had a rushing touchdown. Lavishka Chenault, the former Jaguars wide receiver, had four catches for 31 yards on the day. And on the defensive side, C.J. Henderson as well as J.C. Horn did have two takeaways off of Geno Smith. And Geno Smith went 21 for 36, 264, 3 and 2. Travis Homer with, uh, I know Kenneth Walker. I'm drawing a bike in the other Seattle Seahawks running back. Out, Homer got the start, 9 carries, 26 yards, 2 catches, 8 yards. Definitely disappointing on the day there. Marquise Goodwin, 5 catches, 95, a touchdown. Metcalf, 5 for 71 and 1. Lockett, 5 for 60 and 1. I feel like Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf week in and week out have so similar stats. It's actually insane. The Panthers still a big win against the Seahawks. Now, the Seahawks really do got to beat the 49ers here on Thursday Night Football this week because if the Seahawks, I'm recording this right before the Thursday Night game. That's why I don't know if they've won yet. The Seahawks still need to win that game, though, because if the 49ers win, they'll actually clinch the division. But when you're looking at playoff seeding for the wild card, and kind of some of the teams that are hot, the Seahawks can definitely slip out of the wild card, especially with the big loss here to Carolina where they're really just trying to build for next season. So you got to be careful if you're a Seahawks well, fan, but you can't really control much if you're a fan. If you're kind of the Seahawks and Pete Carroll, you know you've been there, done that before. 
Pete Carroll's obviously a great coach. I'm not saying he's not, but that's definitely something you want to address and fix because moving forward, you can't be losing these games. They got a big matchup against the 49ers. Like I mentioned, this is being recorded right before the game. So if they're able to win, that's huge. If they lost, I mean, they're still very much alive in the playoff picture, and that's something to take notice of moving forward. The Chargers win at home 23-17 against the Dolphins. The Chargers are now 7-6. and The Dolphins are 8-5. and Boyd into a struggle, and he struggled the last couple of games. 10 for 28, 145, and one touchdown on the day. Raheem Mostert, 11 rushes, 37 yards. Tua Tagovailoa, 3 rushes, 28 yards. Tyreek Hill, 4 catches, 81 yards, and a touchdown. Jalen Waddell, only 2 catches for 31 yards on the day. His production has dropped tremendously. For the Chargers, Herbert the Pervert, 39 for 51, 367, 1 and 0. Austin Eckler, 15 rushes, 45 yards, and 1 touchdown. Williams, Mike Williams kind of had a revengeance game. Six catches, 116 and one. Keenan Allen, 12 catches, 92 yards. Eckler, eight catches, 59 yards on the day for him. Overall, a big win for the Chargers. The Chargers are obviously staying alive in that wild card for the AFC East, currently tied with the Patriots and the Jets at a seven and six record. A big loss though for the Dolphins, a big loss for Tua. That was obviously a tough loss there. You don't expect to lose a game like that, especially not the way that they played. And moving forward, you can't allow that to happen again because that's going to be too big of a comeback um, you know, down the line. And playing these big games here, like I mentioned, he hasn't just looked good, and that's something to take notice of, seeing if he's going to be able to materialize in the offense moving forward and seeing if he's going to be able to have success because that's going to be vital for the Dolphins' success come uh, December or even January. Well, more February, January and February. And the final game of the night, it was the Patriots taking on the Cardinals on Monday Night Football. Fun fact, I was actually at that game. A buddy asked me if I wanted to go, and I was like, hell yeah, I mean, I'm a podcaster, so I got to go ahead and see the action firsthand. Patriots win 27 to 13. The Patriots are now 7 and 6, like I mentioned, char- tied with the Chargers and the Jets for that 7 and 6 record. The Cardinals fall to 4 and 9. More specifically, they lose Kyler Murray for the rest of the year. Probably started the next year with the torn ACL. MAC 10, 24 for 35, 235, 0 and 1. Patrick Strong, 5 rushes, 70 yards, and a touchdown. Rondre Stevenson did get hurt in this game. Hunter Henry, 3 catches, 70 yards. Kendrick Bourne, 5 catches, 47 yards in the day for him. And on the defensive side, Marcus Jones did have a takeaway off Colt McCoy. Speaking of the Cardinals, Colt McCoy went 27 for 40 for 246 in an interception. Kyler Murray, 1 for 1, 9 yards, like I mentioned, did get injured. James Conner, 15 rushes, 85 yards, and a touchdown. DeAndre Hopkins, 7 catches, 79 yards on the day for him. And on the defensive side, Isaiah Simmons did pick away the ball. You know, this is a big win for the Patriots. They obviously needed this game a lot. Um, and moving forward, you know, this kind of helps the Patriots' chances. They got a couple big matchups to end the year, um, you know, moving forward. And looking at where they're at right now in the wild card, I believe they hold that final wild card spot. Raiders, Bengals, Dolphins, and Bills is a tough stretch. You know, Bill Belichick's been there, done that before. So maybe expect to see a little bit more of the same thing and uh, seeing if they're able to have that last type of success before, um, you know, the season comes to a, uh, to an end and to fruition. But overall, it'll be interesting to see, and I'm really curious to see how that game goes. As far as takeaways, you know, obviously there's a lot of takeaways here. The Buccaneers got a reality check, although they've kind of had a reality check throughout the season. Losing a game like this to the 49ers is definitely embarrassing. That's going to be a note to see if Tom Brady and that team is going to be able to recover efficiently and seeing if they're going to be able to have success. 
What is wrong with Tua, man? Tua doesn't look great. That's another uh, takeaway I have in this game. Is he going to be able to adjust and recover, or is he going to be stuck in another situation where the Dolphins are screwed because of him? And that's definitely something that needs to be taken advantage of. And finally, the Giants, man, they don't look legit anymore. I was a big Giants fan as far as overall, um, you know, feeling good about them and seeing, you know, maybe if they're going to be able to kind of come back and have more success than they have been having and that just hasn't been the case and um you know as a giants fan in general that's got to be really disheartening to see um, because seeing you know the, some of the successes that they've had early on in the season and playing some of these divisional rivals has just not been a good kind of recipe and that's kind of put them in a difficult position moving forward so they're going to be able to need they're going to need to be able to adjust with that and find out other ways to have success because what they're doing right now isn't working and uh, they have a big matchup this week against the Commanders where they're going to have to kind of rebound and, and regroup. So we'll see if this Giants team's actually legit or if they're just another kind of mockery that they've been the past couple of seasons. We can finally move into Week 15 now with my Game of the Week, my two games to watch out for, Lock of the Week and Upset of the Week. Starting off with my Game of the Week, it's going to be the Dolphins at the Bills on Saturday Night Football here in a primetime situation on NFL Network. This is going to be my game of the week. This is a big game for the AFC East. I believe the Bills have a good chance, if not a fully 100% chance, of clinching the division with a win against the Dolphins. Whereas the Dolphins have now kind of started to slip. They're on a two-game losing streak, sitting at an 8-5 record. Obviously, would like the last couple of games to go a little bit differently. I think that all kind of correlates to Tua and the way that he's been playing. And just overall, the Dolphins haven't been able to get their running game going. The Bills haven't either. And the Bills have looked a little bit sloppy on offense. But overall, it's the Buffalo Bills, and they're still a really good team. You know, I think this is going to be a low-scoring affair, although there's Tua and Josh Allen. The Bills' offense has kind of showed that, hey, we can slow the game down a little bit, focus on our defense, deal with that kind of stuff compared to racking up the points that you'd maybe expect in a game like a Bills and Dolphins matchup. To make it even more kind of more low-scoring affair is the fact that it is a Saturday Night Football game and it is a primetime game. So that's something to take notice of too moving forward and seeing if the Bills are going to be able to have any types of success. One another game to watch out for is going to be the Titans at the Chargers. Now the Titans come into this matchup, actually both teams come into this matchup with a 7-6 and six record. The Titans are on a three-game losing streak. The only positive thing between the Titans here and the Chargers is the Titans last week did really get the running game established. And that was kind of one of the keys to success that I had said for the Titans early on, um, and I think it's pretty obvious. The Titans have success when Derrick Henry and that running offense has success. And although Tannehill is a good quarterback, you know, the weapons that they have around him, you're really expecting more production, but that all stems from Derrick Henry and rushing the football. In their two games before that last game, um, in their two-game losing span, they really hadn't performed that great. And that was because Derrick Henry really hadn't gotten going. Last week he did get going, the defense definitely let them down, and this is a week for the defense to kind of redeem themselves. The Chargers have a good team, they got Keenan Allen and Mike Williams back, and Austin Eckler has been playing really efficiently, but the Titans defense is also pretty solid. Um, I think this is going to be more of a high scoring affair, I think Derrick Henry kind of not necessarily breaks it open, but does a good job this week against you know the team that he's going to be facing, and the Chargers offense looks really solid as well, very pass focused offense. For the Chargers, in this one, I am going to go with the Titans winning this game, though, although I do like the Chargers overall. You know, the Titans, the way that they've been playing, I'm just expecting them to be a little bit 
better and they just haven't been but overall this is a chance for them to really redeem themselves and uh, look kind of good with that so I think it's going to be a good affair between these two teams but I am going to go with the Titans over the Chargers with a slight edge and another game to watch out for is going to be the Giants taking on the Commanders they have identical records because they tied um, you know at 7-5 and 1 this is going to be a big game in my opinion I think whoever wins this game is in the playoffs whoever loses this game is going to be out of the playoffs Right now, as it stands, the three teams from the NFC East would all be the wild cards, and the Seahawks, Lions, and Packers would be sitting out of the playoff mix. However, especially if the Giants lose, I'm really not liking how the rest of the season looks for them. The Commanders, if they lose, I feel like have a better chance, but with the Seahawks and the Lions on the rise, this is an opportunity for the Seahawks and the Lions to kind of sneak into the spot here with the Giants and kind of be not necessarily a sleeper team because people are talking about them, but maybe seeing a little bit more production from that side. This is going to be an interesting matchup, though. There's a lot on the line. I think a lot of people do realize that. It is in Washington, which I think gives them a slight edge. And the Giants, man, they need to win this game not only for self-pride and a chance to really fight in the playoffs, but they kind of need to get their swagger back because they haven't looked too great as of late. After starting the year 7-2, you'd expect them to be a little bit better than they have been. And that just hasn't been the case. And again, that comes with time and overall you know, production and savviness and all that stuff. But there comes a point in time where you really need to kind of bear down and dig deep and, and find a way to win. That just hasn't been the case. With all that riding on the Giants, I do expect that to be a good game, and I do think that the Giants do win this game. You know, they haven't won it, I feel like, in forever, but, you know, I think this is the time they come back, win, go back on the right foot, and uh, finish the season out strong. As far as my lock of the week, this is an interesting one. We got the Cardinals at 4-9, and nine, the Broncos at 3-10. and 10. I am going to go with the Broncos winning this game. They're currently three-point favorites at the time I'm recording this, and it makes sense. You know, the Cardinals are going to be without Kyler Murray for the rest of the season, Cole McCoy does do a good job of filling in, but for the Broncos, man, they just have not looked good whatsoever. They're sitting at a 3-10 record. That was the last thing a lot of people expected. And they're also at a five-game losing streak. And losing a tough one at home, the positive was their offense showed some light, scoring 28 points, which is what you weren't really expecting to see. But overall, in this game against the Cardinals with kind of a depleted look, um, you know, with Kyler Murray not being there, they've also dealt with some other injuries. Rondell Moore, I believe, is out for the season. This is an opportunity for the Broncos to play kind of just a fun game, uh, go back to playing fun football and um, winning against the Cardinals. They definitely have a very similar play style in the fact that you know the both quarterbacks are somewhat mobile. They have a big receiver here and there. But overall, I'm expecting this to be a pretty dominant Broncos victory, and I'm expecting their offense to kind of do what they've been not doing and um, actually have success down the line. So if you're a Broncos fan like my boy Ronnie Prusia is, you're definitely going to be excited about this one because they are going to be my lock of the week. As far as my upside of the week, I'm going to go with the Bears beating the uh, the Eagles at home. You know, this is an interesting one. The Eagles are nine-point favorites. They're obviously sitting at a 12-1 record, and I feel like every week I'm just praying on the Bears' demise. But the Bears, you know, only nine-point dogs uh, being with a big disadvantage as far as records are concerned, 3-10 and 12-1. and that shows optimism that the Bears are coming back, you know, stronger than ever, I guess you could say. The Bears are currently on a six-game losing streak, but there's been a couple games where they've just been so close to winning. Obviously, they haven't sealed the deal, and that's part of it, but it shows a lot of hope and optimism moving forward. I'm expecting another similar good game for the Bears here this week. It's obviously very difficult to play in Soldier Field, and with it being a day game, it kind of breeds the perfect recipe to kind of be an underdog and uh, find a way to win. 
On top of that, the emergence of Justin Fields has also been on top of a lot of people's minds. You know, he's been playing really effectively as of late, and uh, that's something to take notice of too. Seeing if they're going to be able to have the types of success down the line that they're hoping to be with having Justin Fields being the quarterback there. Overall, you know, I think Philly's going to come into this game maybe a little bit too over their heels, maybe a little bit too much swagger, and Chicago's going to take advantage of that and win this game. But at the very least, if they're not able to win this game, they should cover that spread pretty easily and uh, cover that nine-point dog spread. So that's going to be the NFL portion. Let's go ahead and take a look at the fantasy portion before we end the show. Final portion of the podcast, everybody's favorite part of the podcast. You're right. Not just me talking, it's the fantasy portion here. And today I'm going to give you my two must-starts, two sits, two sleepers, and two busts for this week. Starting off with my first must-start, it's going to be Demarcus Robinson. A lot of people I don't think know too much about him. You know, as far as roster ability, he's rostered in 8.2% of leagues. Now taking a risk huge here because a lot of people's playoffs are starting this week. Last week, 10.2. The week before, 11.1. 21.8. Two weeks before that. So he's been a consistent 10 points up besides week 12 when, you know, there just wasn't a good game for their offense whatsoever. But going into this matchup against Cleveland, he's going to have a good wide receiver matchup. And I think a lot of people are scared just because Tyler Huntley, um, with Lamar being ruled out, is going to be the quarterback. Tyler Huntley's still a good quarterback. You know, he's kind of the Lamar Jackson 2.0. The quarterbacks that they had there with RG3 and Trace McSorley also kind of finish or fit that mold as well but on top of that you know i'm expecting tyler huntley to have more pass production than he did because they're not going to be able to just ground and pound and uh, beat the browns that way because you know going up against that front uh clowny and um miles garrett is going to be a tough task against any team especially against the browns so expect more air production from tyler huntley and with him being the leading receiver last week i think it's a perfect opportunity to score a lot of points but then again you're taking a lot of risk with that because he hasn't really been as consistent he's been more consistent later on as the season has progressed mother must start is going to be jared goff now jared goff last week had 26.1 points against minnesota i think the biggest storyline that you want to take away from jared goff you know knock on wood he hasn't thrown an interception in his last five games in his last three games he's had three touchdowns two and two and yards were 333 40 and 240 so he's been a very consistent quarterback week in and week out it seems like um, i think it's a reliable option here especially if you're kind of depth at the quarterback position you know expect him to maybe have a chance to light it up he is going against the jets and the jets do have a pretty solid defense but uh you know when kirk cousins was placing the jets he was able to manipulate that pass defense um, going up against guys like Ahmad, Ahmad, uh, Sauce Gardner. Don't know what I was trying to say there. But overall, he's going to be a good matchup fit. And on top of that, you know, obviously uh, at the wide receiver position, the Lions are pretty, pretty depth, got good depth in that. They have good wide receivers. And um, it's just a lot of recipes for success for Jared Goff. I'm not expecting a bad week whatsoever. It might be a little bit concerned against that Jets defense, but it definitely is still capable of having success. So expect him to have a good poise week. I hate to do this, but my first must is going to be Tua Tagovailoa going up against Buffalo. You know, the last three weeks as a fantasy quarterback, he struggled. 15, 13, and 12 progressively has gone down ever since week 8. And overall, this is not a good matchup for him to kind of get back into his you know swing of things and get back to his two ways that a lot of people were expecting him to kind of be at. Um, obviously, going into Buffalo is one thing, but going up against that defense is another thing. And he's got to do both. So it's going to be definitely very, uh, I guess you could say, challenging for him from the get-go to have the success that he's going to be wanting to have. 
Again, going up against some of those, you know, guys that he's going to be facing on Buffalo is just not a good way for a quarterback struggling to get back in the groove of things. So that's something moving forward that I'm going to have to take heavy note of and see kind of how he's able to play. Because if he's able to play against Buffalo and play very effectively, that puts you in a good position to obviously start him down the line, which is the end goal and what everybody wants to do. But more than that is finding, I guess, your quote-unquote franchise quarterback um, and finding you know your quarterback that if you're in the playoffs uh, this week can be a test to see if he is going to be your quarterback down the line. And uh, that's something to take notice of too. My must-sit again, or I guess my other must-sit, I should say, is going to be Joshua Palmer. Now, Joshua Palmer did have a good spam, especially in Week 9 and Week 11 with 18.6 and 30.6 points. But with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams coming back, he really hasn't had that same production you'd expect him to have. And that's that's going to happen just because, um, obviously, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are just great wide receivers there. On top of that, he's going up against Tennessee's defense. Now, like I mentioned, Tennessee didn't have a good week. That was obvious, um, and a lot of people were expecting, not necessarily expecting that, but were a little bit surprised by that. I think more than that, though, a lot of people were maybe expecting him to be a solid third choice, and in the day and age of fantasy wide receivers, having a third-string wide receiver, there's a lot of risk to that. You know, he might be a guy that breaks away for a 50-yard touchdown, but he also might be a guy that uh, has three points total. And especially when you're in the postseason right now, it's definitely a risk that you're probably not wanting to worth take and to see if you're going to be able to kind of maneuver. Now, if you do play Russian roulette and he is able to have kind of that boomer bust type deal and is able to boom, then you're putting yourself in a really good position. My personal opinion, as far as playoffs are concerned, you got to go with guys that are consistent because sure, you might be able to get a 38 bomb, but overall, it's still going to be difficult to, to win there. As far as sleepers, I'm going to go with an interesting one, and it's Dalvin Cook versus the Colts. Now, obviously, Dalvin Cook um, is rostered in a lot of leagues, 99.9% .9 of leagues, but some people might be a little bit optimistic, and I wanted to talk more about Dalvin Cook just because he's been struggling the last four weeks, really, and you know he had a good game against the Jets as far as fantasy, 16.3. The biggest thing with the Vikings is just not being able to run the football. Their offensive line's been terrible this season, and this is coming from a Vikings fan himself, you know, Dalvin Cook. I love to see him have success, and that just hasn't been the case. On top of that, he hasn't been getting the wide receiver or reception um, that he also was kind of prone to his success early on in his career, especially where he's at now. I do think this week against the Colts um, is going to be a good bounce-back week for him. You know, the Vikings want to have a bounce-back win against Detroit. He's going to get involved more. Stefanski has said he's going to get more involved in the passing game, and that's really where Dalvin Cook thrives, especially when you have a troubling run offense. Getting him involved in the open field, going up against maybe a linebacker, is going to give you that one-step advantage against a guy, um, you know, our defense like Dalvin Cook is going to be facing. And overall, it's just going to be a bounce-back week for him. So I wouldn't push the panic button on yet Dalvin Cook just yet. Um, I do think he's going to have a at least 20-22 point performance. And I'm also going to go with Mac Hollins. Mac Hollins this week is going to be going up against the Patriots. Mac Hollins had 8.2 points last week. That was in part to his 40 rushing yards. And overall, he's been kind of a boomer bust guy, but I'm expecting him to have a big week against New England. New England's got a good secondary, don't get me wrong, but Mac Jones is still a really good player, and he's overall kind of started to materialize into a really quality overall player that I think a lot of um, Raiders fans can be pleased with, you know, kind of being alongside Devontae Adams in that, not genre, but just that kind of area of success. So that's going to be something to, to take notice of and seeing if he's going to be able to have that connection with Derek Carr, not necessarily this year, but next year as well. 
As far as my bus, I'm going to go with Michael Carter being my first bus. With the injury to Brees Hall, I was really expecting Michael Carter to be that next man up and kind of immediately jump into what Brees Hall's role was on that team and have success that way. But that hasn't been the case. You know, Michael Carter has not been playing really effectively at all, and that's not necessarily his fault. They're giving the ball to Zonovan Knight more, and this is an opportunity against Detroit where, you know, their defense isn't as great. It definitely needs some improvement, but this would be a perfect opportunity for him to get the touches, and that's been the biggest thing is Michael Carter hasn't been able to get the touches, and when you're not able to get the touches, then it's just a disappointing um, I guess you could say you're not doing your job as effectively, like I mentioned, because you're just not getting the touches that you need. And that's something that I think this week's going to be another factor, too, um, against Detroit. Now, we'll see. Maybe they mix in a Zonovan Knight, Michael Carter. I think strategically that'd be smart just because it's kind of where they came from in the get-go when they had Brees Hall and Michael Carter playing against each other, and this would be a perfect week to do it. But he hasn't shown much the last couple of weeks, so I'm not expecting him to show a lot this week. And finally, because I talk a lot about consistency in the playoffs, I'm going to go with Gabe Davis as my other bust versus the Dolphins. I mentioned early on this is going to be a low-scoring affair to begin with, so Gabe Davis and that Bills offense is definitely going to have a bit of struggles. I think Josh Allen is a good quarterback. Well, obviously he's a great quarterback. He's going to have a good game as a quarterback standpoint this week, but I'm really expecting this one to be a low-scoring affair, and getting Gabe Davis going isn't going to be on the forefront of the Bills' minds. They're going to want to play the game very loose, very effectively, and uh, find success that way. And that's something to take notice of, too. Gabe Davis is obviously he's had his success on the long ball threat and being able to be effective on the long ball. And that just hasn't been the case really this year. And going up to a playoff matchup potentially where you have Gabe Davis, it's definitely not something you want to flirt with and seeing if he's going to be able to maybe have that boomer bust type week that a lot of people do expect with Gabe Davis. That's going to do it for another episode here on The Truth. I hope you guys did enjoy it. If you guys did, make sure you follow The Truth on Twitter at The Truth as one to stay up to date with the latest information regarding The Truth, including podcast dates, podcast uploads, and other important information about you guys do not want to miss. Until next time, I'm your host, the one you love the most, Niall Hassan, signing out. Take care and have a good night. Peace.